What's Happening Podcast, guests, listeners, viewers, all of the above. I can honestly say this podcast kind of gives me the the, 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 the chills, the, the shivers out of pure excitement. And here's why. I'm sitting down with Henry Shuck, CEO of Zoom Info. Um, number one, it's a remarkable opportunity to talk to somebody of that caliber. Obviously, somebody who is uh, the CEO of a publicly traded company, massive successful IPO, and changing the world, uh, both as a customer of, uh, uh, we are a customer, Wedge is a customer of ZoomInfo, and I've used the product daily. And to know the inner workings of how it, you know, just how it works and how they scale is remarkable in the direction that they're headed. But yes, from a tech standpoint, yes, from an awesome success standpoint, getting the chance to, to ch- chalk it up with Henry is, uh, is, is a dream come true. But more importantly, it's the man behind it all um, is one that I was shocked and just so incredibly honored to spend time with. So Henry is a guy who comes from, um, I think as kind of he describes in this episode, a challenging background, but grit drive and just putting his heads down and working um, and, and, and just growing and bootstrapping. And it's awesome, both from a tech founder of everybody thinks about let's go raise capital, raise capital, raise capital, and how they actually kind of had the opposite. Like, let's go build a brick by brick foundationally growing company that's not capital dependent and grew and grew and grew. And then, you know, once they were in a really, really good spot, they started to take out some investments as he dives into the story. But most importantly to me, it's the both the um, confidence of exactly who he is, uh, the understanding that it's never going to be perfect, but his day to day is spent building and working on the warts in his business, but also it's equipping and empowering people, given the fact of the magnitude and the scale that they're at now. And then the other piece too, is that I've had the pleasure of talking to a lot of successful people um, in the past. And yet I love how Henry brings it back to his family and his daughter and his wife. And um, it just, I, I, I'm just blown away by who Henry is. So Henry, speaking directly to you, thank you so much for being a guest on this episode. Thank you for the man that you are. Thank you for the leader that you are. And um, this is this episode is truly an honor. So listeners, I hope you enjoy it. And uh, just just soak this one in. Henry is an amazing man. Enjoy this episode. Awesome. Henry, thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Matt. I'm uh, I'm super fired up. I mean, for many, many, many reasons. Obviously, as a software entrepreneur myself, picking your brain as obviously a guy who's uh, built an amazing company. I'm excited to pick your brain, but also, you know, most importantly, man, I'm just excited to hear your story. So, if you if you're willing, I'd love just to get the background. You know, what 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 brought you up to today? Yeah. So, um, my name is Henry Shuck. I'm the founder and CEO of Zoom Info. Um, this is. This is a company that I founded in 2007 uh, with uh, with a co-founder friend of mine from from uh, undergrad. But I found it in my first uh, year of law school in Ohio, but had luckily stumbled into a very similar company after my first year uh, in undergrad at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. And so I had gone to undergrad. I came from a, a single parent family. My mom sent me to college with $5,000 that were the remnants of a life insurance policy and uh, went to college, spent the $5,000 uh, the first year. And so was out of college tuition money and took a job at a small, really small one person <laughs> startup in the sales intelligence space outside of Las Vegas. We grew that business from about 
300,000 in revenue to 5 million in revenue when I left in 2006. Went to law school. A friend, my friend who I had recruited at that company called me and said, Hey, let's start a business that's like that business, but doesn't directly compete. And so I put $25,000 on my credit card. He put $25,000 on his credit card. Um, and we started building what was at the time called Discover Org. And the idea behind that business was sellers and marketers just didn't have high quality data on their prospects or their customers. It didn't live organically somewhere internally. There were Rolodexes that were just spread out across uh, the corporate landscape. No one knew who the buyer at Walmart was or Target was or uh, Caterpillar was. And so really the people that you knew uh, that were in your network that you had sold to before, that became the greatest advantage that companies had. And although we didn't know it at the time, what we were building was the ability to really take that power away from what was historically this old boys network, where if I went to college with you or we were at the same country club or in the same social network and you happened to buy technology uh, for a big company that I could sell to you. Um, and if you didn't know me, you didn't see me at an event or buy me an expensive dinner or take me out to a ball game, I didn't have the ability to sell my product to you. Even if my product was better, I didn't have the access. And so the platform we built in 2007 and the data that we provided really democratized that motion. And so now any company anywhere could have visibility into who the decision makers were at every company across uh, the United States. And then after that, all of the world. Today, uh, the business has grown through a combination of just organic uh, growth and execution and then M&A. And so we've done 12 M&A transactions to really build up the data asset to the point where today we cover 150 million business professionals at 100 million companies around the globe. Um, and we do that with, uh, and, and what we've built on top of that data layer is this really robust software layer. So not only do I have that information, but I also have the ability to activate it, um, to engage uh, B2B buyers and decision makers with technology that we've built on top of that data layer. Um, I fast forwarded a bunch, but we built the business in a profitable way and didn't take any outside funding until 2014 when the business was seven years in and at about $25 million in revenue. We were doing that profitably. We brought in TA Associates, who's our first institutional capital, our first real partners, continued to grow the business, um, <clears throat> continued to grow the business organically, made a couple of M&A acquisitions, including that company I worked for in college, uh, and then um, brought on a second uh, outside investor, a private equity firm called the Carlisle Group. We brought them in in 2018 made the, the company up to that point was called discover org. And then in 2019, we acquired zoom info. Uh, we acquired, we acquired the company and then we actually changed the name of the combined entity to zoom info from discover org and then went public in June of 2020. where the first technology IPO of the pandemic, um, and the largest software IPO in a decade to that point. And then Snowflake three months later went public and blew that away. Uh, but we had the record for a very short period of time. And today we have 3,000 employees around the globe, uh, 25,000 customers just uh, announced our Q4 earnings 
uh, where we grew the business 60% uh, year over year with uh, 39% operating margins or about 60%. It was 59%. Um, so first off, I mean, tons unpacked there. Dude, what a sweet, amazing story uh, and where I want to start. And obviously, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask a couple questions and uh, you, can, uh, you, can, you can steer me away from this. But first thing I want to say is kudos to your mother for single mom working up 5,000 bucks to send you to college. Obviously, uh, college was not the uh, initial path on that front afterwards. But seriously, what an amazing I mean, story for her and just uh, buckling down. To, and, and, and the fact that you hear so many stories like that to what you guys just announced on, uh, on, on earnings growth of Q4. I mean, that is what most people do uh, generationally, multiple people. It takes multiple generations to get what you've accomplished. So what a freaking just amazing path that you've done and quite frankly, a short order. So I, I, what an awesome, awesome spot uh, that, I mean, so all that to say, that's, that's, that's Thank an you. awesome, amazing, amazing piece. Um, one, so with kind of your original, so, so this might be a draw to conclusion question, but kind of the $5,000 first semester uh, to sort of the storyline of wanting to create a platform that wasn't uh, just the gentleman's club for selling. Was there any sort of uh, tie there of like, you want to give people a, a more fair advantage than what they were given? Yeah. I mean, I'd like to tell you there was, there really wasn't. I think yeah, yeah. what I, <laughs> what I really wanted to do when we started the business was build a really great business. Yeah. And I wasn't like, you know, I'm not, I, you know, I'm not particularly this like great visionary or I'm not going to tell you, Hey, look, you know, 10 years from now, the world is going to change in this way. And that's why what we're building here at zoom info is so important and so valuable. I'm more like, I want to build the greatest business that exists. I want you to go into our product organization, our engineering organization, our go to market organization, and then walk out going, Oh my God, that's the best run engineering product accounts payable, go to market organization I've ever seen. Um, and I'm very confident that if you're able to do that, that it doesn't really matter how the future changes because you're going to have the best people in the driver's seats to adapt to that change. And if you run a really great business, it gives you all sorts of additional opportunity. So like we were able to acquire, we were able to acquire these 12 businesses along the way and a couple of them competitors of ours because we just ran a way better business than they did. We grew the business more efficiently. Um, and so we had more profitability that allowed us to raise debt when we did acquisitions. And so we never had to dilute, dilute ourselves by issuing new equity. Um, it really put us in a driver's seat because we ran a really, really great business along the way. Uh, and so that's always been my goal. Um, and has always been my focus is can we build a really great business? It also, you know, turns out that to run a really great business, you, you need some profitability and, uh, when you're 23 years old and you've maxed out your credit cards, the only <laughs> way to run any business is to run it profitably because there was no more capital to get. Yep. I, 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 I laugh not because I'm making fun of, but because I, I have lived the experience of, uh, what, it, what does it look like on Monday not to have enough payroll in the bank on uh, to make it on Friday and the stress and the sleepless nights that those those cause so I I, 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 I hear that through and through um, 
what, one of the things kind of on that note that I wanted to ask you was, um, from, from, from day one maxed out credit cards of 25 grand to announcing earnings in the public markets out of all those sort of seasons, if you were, you know, taking a step back and totally done with it, what would you say was like the most stressful and, 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 and not necessarily like any, anything that you can't disclose, but like, what would you say war, like weird war on you the most? And then what would you say is the area that you've had the most fun of like, man, I wish I was in that area. And it could be, it could be exactly where you're at today. I'd love to kind of hear the, 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 the wide gamut of kind of the emotions from those things. Yeah, I think that the most stressful time in the business history for me was immediately after IPO because what what's interest what was interesting about this business is along the way I had great financial outcomes. So, you know, we took we took secondary money in the when TA came in, when Carlisle came in. Um, I was making really good money in the business. I was set up for a long time. And so financially I was like validated, but I was never really validated professionally. And I think that's what a lot of our leaders felt like too, pre IPO that they felt like what they were building inside of zoom info was really great. And they had enough people tell them that it was unique and special that I think they started to believe it, but not really. Um, and so when we IPO'd, it was the first taste of like professional validation that anybody really got, I think, especially for me, for sure. And so you had this great moment and you knew that really like the day after the IPO was when you really had, uh, the opportunity to prove whether or not that validation was properly placed. And before we IPO'd, my wife told me like, hey, you're running this great private company. You have uh, a board that you've known for the last seven years. Uh, why would you, what's the benefit of going public for you? It's not like you need more money. Um, why, why go public? And I told her like at the time, you know, if you get invited to the business Super Bowl, you don't say no to going to the business Super Bowl. And we all work really hard to prove that we're like the best at something. And this was our opportunity to go like prove it on a really big stage. And I knew it was going to be challenging and I knew it was going to be hard. But immediately after IPO, probably for the next two quarters, I really felt like, you know, you can uh, imagine like a deer, like a young deer that's just learning to walk and it keeps just like falling on itself, trying to get its legs underneath, uh, underneath them. And that's really how I felt. And then at the same time, you had this like new spotlight and people were writing about you that you didn't really know or didn't really understand the business. They didn't really understand the business. And so they'd focus on like the wrong thing. And you were also just out meeting like hundreds of investors who didn't really understand the business. So you were starting from scratch again. It was like, I never really had to fundraise at zoom info, but all of a sudden I was like out there fundraising, um, and fundraising consistently. So that period <laughs> right after was like not the easiest part of definitely the hardest part, the best, I think the best part of, uh, the, the best, um, part of that, of the journey is now, 
Um, and mainly because, um, mainly because I think I have the best team that I've ever had and that they're really supporting me in a way that I've never really felt as supported as I do today. It was really interesting. One of the things that changed immediately after the IPO was I felt like internally there was this shift from like, Henry's just another 30 year old. Like, what does he know that's better than us? To like, oh, wait a second. This guy's actually done something that's real that, you know, that's on Wall Street. We should be like supporting and listening to him in a way that we haven't historically. It's so um, I so I, I have to offer a slight di- like a, 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 I certainly am not of that caliber of anyway. I'm I'm in the I'm in the like uh, starting. So I first had a lawn care at 15, kind of the, you know, young hustler, quote unquote, sort of thing. And then my the wedge was started when I was 21, 22. And so it was at the age where people were like, we want to do everything we can to support you because you're young. And then now it's turned into like, I have some people who are like, you're young, you're not ready to be a CEO stage. And, and not that's certainly not everybody, but it, like some people just ha- have that attitude. So it's funny yeah. how it goes from like, let's support you for being young to you don't know anything because you're young. And so I, I, I I'm living like the pre form of that. So I, I can totally see that. That's <laughs> yeah, totally. It's just an interesting environment because I didn't really appreciate it until after IPO. I didn't have the like, Hey, we're going to support you because you're young. I jumped straight to the, like, like, I don't really know why we should listen to you. I know a lot better than you do stage. And so I felt like I was constantly battling against that. Um, and it was like, you can imagine like me walking up a hill with like the way it felt was like me walking up a hill with like, you know, like a bag over my shoulder filled with things that I'm like pulling up the hill. And then like pre IPO is like, I turned around on that (laughs) hill and was just like being pushed by everybody, which was amazing. That's, that's so cool. That's so cool. Um, so I, I'm, I'm going to chunk this up, and and these can be defined as however you want. But take the take the take the credit card to like uh, kind of initial stage company, then take the uh, the the growth hyper growth mode, and then take the pre IPO, and then take the post IPO. Like let's call it those four chunks, and you can the, the 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 lines can be blurred however you want them to be. But what what has been the difference of Henry, the CEO and founder, your role or your day-to-day of those sort of four different phases of the company. And I'm sure there's many different phases, and, 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 but for sake of discussion, those kind of four, what has been the role of Henry as the CEO that's changed, migrated, or maybe stayed the same? Yeah, interesting. So um, the credit card, so credit card hypergrowth pre and post IPO. Yep. Um, credit card... And I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm, hype, I'm I'm calling it the credit card stage, but I guess for sake of yeah, discussion, yeah, no, you get it. That's a good stage. I, I, I yeah. get it. Yeah. yeah. So credit card stage, um, credit card to hyper growth was really, you know, it was about my abilities mo- more so than anything else. And so I was in execution mode. I was building the product, selling the product, renewing the product, building the team, interfacing directly with our marketing people, building the marketing campaigns, building the sales talk tracks, training the sales reps, hiring the sales reps. It was like, you know, in that early stage, it's kind of about you. Assuming you've got like the business model right and the 
product market fit right, which, you know, I borrowed from my previous employer. So I was good there. So the rest of it was like, can I build a business around this idea? And so, um, that first stage was like, can you execute? Can you sell more? Can you renew higher? Can you build a better product? Um, can you recruit a team? It became like really about you. Um, and then because you're smart, you're small, you can't recruit, you don't recruit the best talent that exists at that stage. You really recruit talent that you can develop. And so your ability to, to develop talent is really important in that sort of credit card to hyper growth stage. Cause you can't just go into the market and hire like the world's best CMO. You have to hire somebody who doesn't know how to do marketing and then train them into a great marketer. You can't go hire vetted salespeople, you know, software salespeople. You're hiring like the guy who couldn't get the software sales job that you see a lot of potential in and then hoping that you can develop that potential. And so that is the biggest part of the credit card stage. And we have, you know, my first, my first sales team, many of whom are still with us. You know, I had a guy who just graduated college with a, like a 2.5 GPA, but it looked like he had a lot of potential. I had a, a guy who had been a caddy before he came here. That was his last job. Henry, careful. Before too long, you're about to start pitching Wedge as a product or why people are more than a resume. So careful. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, I, I was just trying to set you up, Matt. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> now, keep, keep, so, so professional poker player, that's, all, that's, that's amazing. I mean, but that's true. Like you were hiring people who were much more than a resume and you were hiring for potential. I actually think like someone asked me this, like, what's your definition of leadership? And when they asked me, I didn't know the answer, but like a minute later it came to me, which is, I think that great leadership means that a, or a great leader can see potential in other people that they don't see in themselves and then can set them up to reach that potential. And I think in the credit card to hyper growth stage, that's what we ended up being really great at. We have these today, those people are way outperforming within the company, but we hired this great team and we developed them. I love it. Uh, real quick on the leadership quote. Do you have somebody who's that for you or has been that for you in your life? I'm sure there's probably multiple, but anybody comes to mind? You know, the what I what I always go to on this one is the first investor in our business was a guy named Todd Crockett from TA Associates. Um, and there were all, before TA invested, I had a number of investors come in and go like, hey, yeah, we'd like to invest. What do you want to do, Henry? And I, you know, you, if you want to write me, um, you know, a couple million dollar check and I'm 29 years old, literally I'll do whatever you want me to do. Yep. You know, like, I don't know what I, I don't know. What do you want me to do? You're the big Harvard MBA investor who's in, invested in all of these businesses. What do you think I should do? And a number, a number of those investors who came in because I answered the question that way, I didn't know what they wanted to hear, but because I answered the question that way, we're like, okay, great. Let's go bring in a new CEO for the business. And by the way, it's not like the business was doing poorly. It was growing a hundred percent year over year with 60% EBITDA margins. And so, but there, you know, I didn't look or have the experience on my resume of like a big SaaS CEO. 
And so they were like, okay, well, let's go get a new CEO. We'll go like help you recruit the new person to come in. And I was like, yeah, 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 sure. Okay. But when Todd came in and TA came in, they came in and said like, Hey, you're not going anywhere, right? Like we need you to run this company. There's nobody better than you to run this business. And then when I, you know, gain some credibility by continuing to perform, there were a number of opportunities where they could have swapped me out. Like when we made the we made an acquisition of a, of a company called Rain King, they could have, the CEO of that company looked much more like a typical CEO that you'd see in this business. They could have said like, Hey Henry, what do you think? Maybe you want to take a back seat and have that guy run the business. They never said anything like that. When we bought zoom info and we put a bunch of their money in, in behind like the debt that we were using to buy zoom info. They never said like, Hey, let's bring in professional management. They always believed in me and my ability to continue to run the company and recruit. Well, so I would say like uh, Todd Crockett at TA was absolutely that person in my life and my, that's, that's uh, I mean, that's, that's, that's such an awesome, that's such an awesome story. I mean, and, and obviously interesting timing for me as well too, because um, our angels have, have kind of looked at me and said, we, we believe in you as the CEO. And I actually brought in um, a, a guy to obviously who's, who's had some success in the space um, and, and say, uh, with a little bit of gray hair to say, let's help run this operationally and scale it up just because I knew that there's certainly some gaps, but there's nothing. I mean, nothing like having somebody who's either an investor, a client, or just a person who says, I, 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 you might feel incompetent, but shoot your shot and go figure out how to do it. And I believe you need to go figure that out. I mean, that's, 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 there's something powerful to that for sure. So I, yeah, I, I think the, the most powerful thing to it, I think Matt is I have achieved a lot of my potential as a result of that, that I wouldn't have had the opportunity to achieve somewhere else. Like I'm not naive to think that if like Todd swapped me out with another CEO that I was going to go start another, you know, almost billion dollar business with the $20 billion market cap. This was my shot. And like, it was easy along the way for someone to knock me out. And they didn't, they like supported me through that and has given me this opportunity to achieve, you know, an incredible outcome that I wouldn't have had the opportunity to do if they didn't really believe in me along the way. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Um, so the, uh, so let's say, let's say sort of the, 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 the pre IPO post IPO, uh, stage of the company, your role as CEO, how did you live in kind of the two, two two different versions of those. I think we obviously touched on kind of the credit card to hyper growth. Now walk through a little bit, obviously whatever you're capable and comfortable sharing the difference yeah. between kind of those. Yeah. So I think like when we got to hyper growth, it became, it became more about organizing the company the right way and then hiring the right leaders in the different departments. And that got tricky because you had these people who had grown up in the organization who, uh, you know, got promoted. They, they were great individual contributors. Then they became great, um, managers, but they, then they got promoted to VPs or higher levels. And sometimes in those levels, things started getting shakier and, 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 and so really building the right team at that point became really important and we didn't know what we didn't know. And so there was, we all recognized there was opportunity for us to learn. And so that hyper growth stage was, could we hire leaders who then continued to draw the best version of ourselves out of us? And so 
we went around the business. We hired like key leaders in marketing and uh, customer success and revenue and built an actual, you know, a team around the company. So it wasn't just me saying do this or do that and then doing it. You had a team who would go like, what are you thinking about doing over here? I'd go this, this, this and that. And they'd go, okay, yes. And I think I can even take it another step further and make it even better. And then they'd go hire the team and execute against those things. And so hyper growth was, could you get a really great team in place? Could you be intellectually honest with yourself where the team wasn't great? And were you willing to make hard decisions across the team where the, the lack of making those decisions hurt everybody? Um, and so that's hyper, that was hyper growth, just in a nutshell. Can you hire and assemble the right team um, and then get, get everybody working together? The, uh, the, uh, at some point, I'm sure uh, we'll, we'll, we'll reimagine and whiteboard uh, the whole conversation around leadership because I think your first definition is spot on. I think also your second definition is you know leadership is being intellectually honest with yourself while capable of making the hard decisions, knowing that if you don't make those hard decisions, it's going to have repercussions. And leaders are obviously people who are one, the first one capable of being honest with themselves and honest with the situation. And then the next that that's some people. And then what makes it even harder is, are you able to make the decisions that are difficult, not just because, you know, for, for, for results, but if you don't make those decisions, it's going to go the opposite way. There's some, there's some, uh, leadership quote to be, uh, to be, to be, to be chiseled down around that, that idea right there. I love that. That's amazing. And I also think like both of those areas are ripe with opportunities for you to run away. (laughs) So like in the first part, like, can you be intellectually honest? it's really easy for you to rationalize whatever decision you want to rationalize. So like you could look at any situation and not be intellectually honest about it and come up with reasons why the way that you want to see it is the way that it actually exists. And I've seen that happen all the time. And then if you're able to get past the intellectually honest piece and you make it into the make the hard decision piece, that's another place where people just fall apart. And they go like, for all of these reasons, it's not the right time. You know, that person's going through something difficult. I mean, I've had that before where it's like one of the hardest things is you you build a relationship with team members, with investors, with, with, with employees, with people, with vendors, with whatever it is. And you, you're like, okay, I, I know the, I know, I know what that person's either going through, what they're about to go through, or what they've been through. And I'm struggling to make a difficult decision because I know those things. And it's like, Yes, that's fair, but at the same time, not making that decision or not having that conversation is potentially doing more harm to that circumstance as well, yeah. too. Which is just—I mean, it's gut wrenching, and it, it, just because you make the decision doesn't necessarily mean it, you're going to feel good afterwards. But yeah. in the long, so anyway, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I—I I, no—I've I, I've seen that time and time again, and and I have chosen to have those conversations, and also at times chosen not to, and I've regretted it. So, anyways. Yeah, you have to be, uh, whenever I, whenever I'm having that debate with myself, um, I think about a couple of things. Like if I don't make this decision, how can I be a good role model to the rest of the team? Because I'm telling the team like, look, we have to be vigilant about talent. We have to like, uh, we have to encourage our teams to up level and upskill and get better. Now at the same time, every two years when you're growing 50%, a year, every two years, you have another zoom info. 
next to you. And so that's great because it creates all sorts of new opportunity for our opportunities for our employees and they get promotion opportunities and lateral move opportunities and they're learning more. It also means that you are obligated to scale your skills and your abilities. Not everybody wants to do that. Not everybody wants to wake up every morning and go, hey, what am I really bad at and how do I get better at that thing? And then just fixate on the things that they're really bad at. Like I know today at Zoom Info, two dozen things that we're not great at. And every day I wake up thinking about those things. There are all these things we are good at and like that I should be proud about, but I don't wake up thinking about those things. I wake up every day going, you know what? That area is still messed up. That area is still messed up. We don't have the right person in that area. We don't have the right person in that area. And then my job essentially becomes convincing if it's like a layer below me, convincing the the department heads in those areas to see those areas as also falling down and to be equally convicted in making those changes to make the business better. Um, But it's a lot easier to wake up and go, hey, I work at a $20 billion market cap company. They just finished a record quarter. I just feel really good. And I (laughs) feel, and you know what? There's some things that that aren't going perfect, but there's a whole lot that is, and I'm just going to like focus on those things. That's a lot easier life to live. Um, but for me, I know every wart in this company and I do this thing, Matt, I don't know if you do this, but you should, if you don't, I write a memo twice a year, uh, as if I was the new CEO of zoom info and I had just left. Henry had just gotten fired. The board brought in a new CEO. He took 60 days. And then he reached out with a memo that said, here are all of the things that are messed up at Zoom Info. You're so lucky you hired me because I'm going to fix all of these things that Henry wasn't focused on and didn't fix. And then I share that with my executive team. And then we go after fixing those problems. And it's just like an honest assessment of the areas that need improvement and then getting alignment across the executive team that those are the areas, th- those are areas that need improvement. Those are areas that the next CEO would say are under um, invested in or not running optimally. And then making sure we're fixing those things. I love that. I'm going to, I uh, will admit I took a couple notes on that one because I think that's something I definitely should be putting into place. No, that's, uh, that's, I, I love that advice. So thank you. Um, yeah. The, uh, the the other the other two pieces and and maybe it's uh, maybe it's one and the same or separate is kind of the the, the obviously the pre IPO post IPO change change of uh, who Henry was and uh, or 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 stayed the same as CEO founder sort of day in yeah, day, day out. Pre IPO was interesting because pre IPO we were really merging Discover Org and Zoom Info together. So we'd made the acquisition of Zoom Info in February of 2019. We IPO June of 2020. And actually, we were slated to I- IPO in March of 2020 for uh, pandemic reasons that didn't end up working out. But it gives you a better sense of the timeline. Acquire a business that's your equal size, integrate the businesses, build a new platform, while at the same time building, uh, building a motion to go public in one year post that acquisition. That was a, you know, that was a really fast year um, 
there was more travel than I've ever done in my professional career because we acquired a, I was, I am based in Vancouver, Washington, which is a suburb of Portland, Oregon. Zoom info was based in Boston, uh, and Israel. And so all of a sudden I had these constituencies of people who woke up every day trying to make the business more successful that I felt a true like obligation to go meet and spend some time with and be in every office and thank them for what they were doing to make the business more successful. It is the like one, one of the most obviously unfair uh, things that happens to a CEO is that when the business goes really well, you get showered with most of the credit and, or a lot of the credit. Meanwhile, you have these people who are spending more of their waking hours thinking about zoom info and thinking about making this company more successful than they are spending time with their family or seeing their kids or sometimes sleeping. Um, and so really like, I feel number one, very thankful for all of the work that they're doing. And number two, I feel really obligated to go see them in person and thank them for that work. And so, so I, I re, re, real similar, similar, uh, again, we're, we're tiny, so I don't even have a magnitude of uh, level of ability to relate to some of this. But I had the, I had a chance to speak at a Sherm conference for the first time, which was cool, in, in, in Vegas. And uh, four of our team members were there. And it was one of those moments where it's like there was, you know, just the opportunity to be considered a speaker, which was cool to be, you know, potentially uh, some somebody who has some credibility in the space, quote unquote. And, and kind of the first both guilty and excited moment of like, I have team members who care about this uh, just as much as I do. And on top of that, I'm, I'm having the opportunity. And this is where I felt a little guilty was like, I've got our CTO sitting there who's built the product from the ground up and I'm up here getting the credit uh, uh, for building the company. And it's like, it's like, and, and, and it's, it's one of the, obviously it's awesome to get the company recognized. And of course there's occasionally moments where it's fun to have, you know, your back padded every once in a while, but, but also it's like, there's, there's just, so anyways, the fact that you turn that into a level of gratitude of like, look, I'm, I, I, I can't be the guy who did all the work to build this. I'm just going to go thank the people who do. And that's, that's a really cool thing. Yep. And so I do that. Like we were talking, uh, before the podcast started, Matt, you're in Grand Rapids. We have a, uh, an office in Grand Rapids. I make it out there twice a year. Grand Rapids is not the easiest place to get to in the United <laughs> States. Yep, yep. And I got stuck there last time too. But that's a different story. You, yeah, but I was about I go, to say okay. you didn't. Uh, you you didn't get the you didn't get the Nashville hot chicken sandwich. We'll show you the way next time. <laughs> I will get it next time, one hundred percent. But that year, twenty nineteen to twenty twenty, I went to Israel three times. I went to Grand Rapids. I visited our team in Bethesda and Philadelphia and Boston. I split my year, so I spent half the year in Boston and half the year in Vancouver, Washington. Um, I brought my family with me. So we were in Boston for a month. We were in Vancouver for a month. Um, and so it was really about putting the companies together. And then at the same time going out and you do these things during the IPO that are called, uh, like non-deal road shows or testing the waters where you go and you present your story to a bunch of the people who would be investors in zoom info in an IPO. And so you go like, you're in New York for two days, you do eight meetings a day, and then you go to Chicago the next day, you do eight meetings there, and then you go to San Francisco and you do eight meetings there, and then eight meetings the next day. 
and you meet all these investors and you start sharpening the story about what Zoom Info is and how it does what it does. And you hear all of the questions that investors are going to ask you. You start getting better and better at how you answer those questions and how you shape the story. And so pre-IPO was a combination of merging the businesses and getting the story right. Um, who are we? What are we going to be in the future? Why is this an interesting business? What makes it special and defensible? And where's the moat? And, you know, why do you guys have debt on the books? And why do you have private equity backers? Usually these businesses that IPO are funded by venture capital. Why have we never heard of you? And did you grow only because of M&A, not because you were able to grow organically or you know, why isn't Salesforce in the space? There's all these like questions you get asked uh, that sometimes it was the first time you got asked the question and you kind of mumble through a response and then you, you sharpen, you sharpen the saw after that and get a little bit better and a little bit better. So um, that was the rest of 2020 and then uh, the rest of the year. And we rolled into what was supposed to be our IPO in March um, literally we're supposed to IPO March 23rd or something like that. <laughs> Smack dab in the middle of it. <laughs> or like right, right, well, right, 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 right. When it initially, yeah, man. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Right. When like everyone got sent home and we didn't know what was going to happen and travel stopped and business stopped. And, you know, we were supposed to IPO a week later. So obviously that didn't happen. And then, we, we came out of April having a pretty good April and said, okay, well, could we be the first ones out? Can we go IPO first? Does that make sense? Like, what, what, will there be investor appetite for it? And so we did. We went out and started talking to investors again and then ultimately IPO'd the business June 4th. Um, it was a great IPO. We, you know, I did it from my my office in Van in uh, my home office at my house. Um, <laughs> it's insane. Talked to Jim Cramer on CNBC from my den. Um, it's one of those. I, you, please, please have the Wi-Fi work. Please have the Wi-Fi work. Please have the Wi-Fi work. Totally. I'm pretty <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. No, we had IT people come and run an Ethernet cord from like the modem downstairs up to my oh, of course, <laughs> of course. <laughs> that's amazing. So, <laughs> so that's pre-IPO. Post-IPO, you know, is not much different than pre-IPO. It's a lot about, um, it, it's really a lot about hiring really great leaders again in, on your team. That never changes except for in the like uh, the credit card stage where it's kind of more about what you can accomplish. But once you're out of that, it's really all about the leaders that you're hiring and really like you're whack-a-moling a lot in the business. And so it's like, okay, this is a problem today. Oh, that's good now. This other thing's a problem. Okay. That's good now. This other thing's a problem. And most of the solve in those problems are, um, you just, you're the team grew too fast. You don't have the right people. You need to like do some changes in the org design to get the right people into the right spots. So you're getting full value out of the team that you have. And then you're doing a good amount of recruiting to get the right people into. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, the, uh, the last, last, last kind of big, uh, you know, question to take however you want. Um, I, this is more of an observation. Obviously, uh, you didn't take funding until you were profitable. And I think you said what, 25 million. Mm -hmm. So, uh, 
Have you ever taken on some of the classic approaches for startup people who say, you know, it's it's always funny to see the the VC world, and trust me, it's not 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 every. There's plenty of amazing VCs out there, but most people refer to companies that you're going to take public. You got to go get a big funding round. You got to go get a big funding round. You don't need to be profitable. Get you know X Y Z. Go spend. Go spend. Go spend. You kind of had the opposite approach. Let's build a great business. Let's get it profitable, and then we can make any decision that we want. And this happened to be your path. I mean, that's got to be something that you've probably had some opinions back and forth on through the years, watching other companies totally. go through the goods and bad of that. Yeah, different strokes for different folks. I think first of all. For sure. Um, I think uh, there obviously is a pathway to the public markets in a universe where you, uh, you know, you spend for growth. And if you can demonstrate really high levels of growth consistently, um, you know, you can make it to the public markets and not be profitable. I think once you're in the public markets, it's really hard to sustain a great investor base and uh, and continue to grow the valuation of your company if there isn't a very clear pathway to profitability or if your business isn't already profitable. And I think if you, you know, the 2020-2021 vintage of technology IPOs, the last I heard 70% of them are trading below their list price and the vast majority of them are trading 50 to 60% below their, their listing price and your listing price. And when your IPO is when you IPO is like the price that your company is valued at. And then when you see like the, um, the IPO jump, like the first day jump, that's above your list price. So we went out, I think we jumped like 40% or 70% the first day. Um, and then, but what you're seeing with the current crop of companies is when you're not profitable, and you're just growing the business in an unprofitable way, there's no floor to your valuation. And so you can just slip straight past where you listed. And you see that with a bunch of really great companies that are out there, but have never been architected for profitability. And I just think it's really hard to move from a world where you're incredibly unprofitable to trying to get to a place where you're profitable the mechanisms to make that shift, I think are pretty difficult. Um, and so along the way, of course, like I would, I would read TechCrunch and I'd see these companies getting these huge rounds and everybody loved them. And I would always look like negatively on what we were building because they weren't those companies. Um, and I'd always just be like, well, look, you know, that, you know, that tech company, just listen to them in, in TechCrunch. They're like growing 100% a year and everybody loves them and they're a big deal. And they just opened this new office with a slide in it. The gold plated <laughs> ping pong paddles, because ping pong tables aren't enough. You need, you need to take it to the next stage. <laughs> totally. And I just never, you know, because I wasn't that, I couldn't get myself wrapped up in it. Um, and so I just told myself all through the journey, like build a great business and great things will happen, build a great business and great things will happen. And, um, I don't know if that's always a recipe for success. I think it is here. It was definitely a recipe for success. And I'm just like really glad I didn't, I didn't, you know, the business is the business today, the way it's operated, the way we've executed 
has been the way I've always wanted to build and execute against the business. And so I think having like integrity about who you are and not showing up in the business, just that, that makes a lot of sense. I, uh, uh, you let me know if you discover the whole company that with the mentality of build a great business and great things will happen where that's not the case. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I was about to say, let's, let's have that be a journey of first one to find it. But I, I, I have a bet that, uh, that, that typically ends up working out for the better in the long run on, on most cases. So, um, Henry, my, my favorite question on the planet, and this is more, not just about you as uh, CEO and founder, you know, of, of zoom info, but more importantly, you as a human being, like, what is it that gets you out of bed in the morning? Yeah. So, um, this, this ends up being, um, this ends up being about the business a bit, but look, I think first of all, I had a daughter in the middle of all of this in 2016 and that's amazing. It has been amazing. Yeah. Um, but that significantly changed the way that uh, I thought about like work-life balance. And usually I don't think people have done enough uh, real like soul searching when they talk about work-life balance, they just like hear it and they think it just means like less work. Um, for me, what I found when, when we had grace is two things. One, um, my schedule was no longer the most important one. And like what I, the first time I realized this is I had investment bankers who were in town and my wife told me, Hey, grace goes to bed at seven. So if you want to see her before you go to bed, before she goes to bed, you need to be home by seven. And I had made a commitment. Like whenever I'm in town, I'm going to see grace in the morning. I'm going to see her at night before she goes to bed. So this day, these investment bankers came in town and I said like, look, I can meet you for a drink after work. And then I got to go. And then they're like, okay, great. So we met six 30. I was out of the restaurant. I was in my car racing up to our house. I was going to make it in time. No problem. I called my wife and I was like, all right, I'm almost there. And she goes, oh, Grace just went to sleep. And I was like, what do you mean she went to sleep? So <laughs> she went to sleep. And I was like, wait a second, but you told me seven o'clock. She was like, well, she went to sleep. So like, yeah. I know your schedule. She's not a Zoom, she's not a Zoom appointment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She's not a Zoom appointment. She's like, and so yeah, she's asleep. Your schedule's not the most important one anymore. Hers is. And so I've made a commitment from that perspective is that every day, again, I, when I'm in town, I see grace in the morning, I see grace at night. That means I'm not doing happy hours or special dinners or whatever else there is. That being said, I also know my schedule is going to blow up. I'm going to have to travel. I'm going to go to other offices. I'm going to have a board meeting, investor meeting so that on those days, I don't feel any guilt about not seeing grace because I've been like steadfast with my commitment about when we're in town, I'm going to see her. And so that, you know, in the morning and at night and get real time with her. So anyway, so that's one thing I think today, what, you know, what I'm most, what gets me out of bed every day the most is I actually think that we have an opportunity to prove that the people in this building, the company that we're building can be the best run software company ever built. And I am really motivated to go prove that. And we kind of touched on it at the beginning of the interview, which was like, if you have the opportunity to prove that you're the best in the world at something, then that's an opportunity you should just try to grab onto as tightly as you can. 
And so I think we we're in this motion where we do have the opportunity to prove that we're the best builders of software businesses ever. Um, and I think over the next 10 years, we have the opportunity to prove that. So I'm waking up every morning trying to get us a little bit closer to that goal. I love that. Henry, seriously, um, I've uh, I, I've talked to a lot of folks. Uh, this podcast is just uh, not not only not not only are you as a as a, as a as a CEO of, of Zoom Info and you as a, as an entrepreneur uh, somebody to look up to, but also just at the stage and the time the company that I'm at. Selfishly, uh, the amount that I've learned from this has just been awesome. So thank you. Uh, uh, this this podcast been great. Um, I guess kind of hand it over to you. Is there anything else you want to leave with the audience? Anything else you want to close on? No, I really appreciate you having me on here, Matt. I really love that we found our way to people are much more than their resumes because I think that what you're doing, what Wedge is doing um, has also the ability to change everything that people think about from a talent and leadership and growth perspective in their companies. And so I really appreciate you having me on. You got it. Henry, thank you so much. Thank you. You just listened to an amazing episode on the Matt Baxter Show. It had nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the guests that I have and the stories that we get to tell and the smack talking we get to have. So if you enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes that you've listened to, feel free to su subscribe on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcast. Check us out at themattbaxtershow.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at Matt C. Baxter, Twitter, or Facebook as well too. Uh, I'd love to hear from you, whether it's through an email on the website or whether it's through any of the social platforms. I do my best to get back to people as soon as I can. But thank you again for listening. I hope you enjoy. Feel free to send feedback in any way. And don't be afraid to share the Matt Baxter Show. We're very excited to have you as a listener and hope you continue to listen as well. Thanks a ton. Bye-bye.